Hi and welcome to the We Are Zion Sermon Podcast. We are a local church based here in Chennai, India. We are so glad you are with us and hope that this will encourage, inspire and instill fresh faith in you. We have Christine Geshom continuing our series Going Deeper, which is an in-depth study on the book of Ephesians. We pray that as you listen to the word, it will give you fresh perspective and confidence in the God who is with you on your life's journey. Hi church, it's my joy to bring God's word to you this morning. Even as uh, we've been looking at the book of Ephesians and we've been doing a new series called Going Deeper where we really look um in- deeply into a book of the Bible. We study it for all that it's worth and today we're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 2. So last week um Pastor Jaden talked to us from Ephesians 1 and if anything that you know stuck with me there were two things that stuck with me from last week's sermon and the first thing is about our identity and location in Christ that wherever we go we stay in Christ and that was the first thing that stuck out to me the second thing was the hope that we have that doesn't disappoint is the one thing that sets us apart from other world religions the the fact that we have a person on whom we can place our hope and that hope is never disappointed and so today we're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 2 and I've titled today's sermon dead on arrival far from home dead on arrival and far from home i don't know about you but my before christ era felt like that it felt like um there was not uh much alive within me deep within me and i felt like i had not really reached home and maybe for you your before christ your bc era was something like that and i found that in my, in my life when jesus entered it he literally you know brought to life everything that was dead thus far and he brought me home he brought me home into his family um into the body of christ and that's when life actually began And so today we're going to be looking at how um you know Jesus is the source of our transformation we know that but how does this transformation happen and i believe it happens because of a very important thing it happens the reason and the method of our transformation happens because we experience a fusion with Christ in this passage today we're going to be looking at repeatedly this phrase with Christ raised with Christ seated with Christ made alive with Christ we're going to be looking at the with Christ and the word with itself indicates a fusion now if you you know if you live anywhere in the world you'll you'll see um you know food stalls will say fusion food or maybe you're you're a biologist and you know all about cell fusion or maybe you're a physicist or you're studying physics right now and you've heard about nuclear fusion and what does fusion actually mean it's a merging of diverse distinct or separate elements into a unified whole the coming together and so that the different parts become a whole and in following jesus each of us actually experience a fusion with him and in ephesians 2 we're going to find out how life altering that is you know in coming together with jesus we are never the same and that transformation permeates into every part of our lives and ephesians 2 is going to show us what this fusion looks like So can we get into the word of God? Can we read Ephesians chapter 2? I'm reading from the NIV translation, made alive in Christ. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh. and following its desires and thoughts like the rest we were by nature deserving of wrath 
And I'm just going to go bit by bit because it's a long chapter. And as you see here, Paul is addressing the Ephesian believers and he's reminding them that, you know, you were in a spiritually dead state. You know, you were dead in sin. You were dead in transgression because they were not able to follow the law of God. The law that Moses had given them was repeatedly broken. There was idolatry. There was all kinds of immorality because of their many sins. And he's reminding them that that was your past. He's talking to the Ephesian believers and he's talking about how this deadness was because of three main reasons. He's saying that you followed the ways of the world because there was a predominant culture like we saw last time. There was the imperial worship where they worshipped the sovereign. There was different forms of idolatry. They were worshipping all kinds of things. They had gone off track. They were following the ways of the world. The second reason was they were being led by the spirit of the age who was the enemy of our souls himself, the devil. They had actually been led by him. And the third reason was that they were gratifying the flesh, its desires and its thoughts. And he's talking all of this with respect to their pre-Christ era, not their current state, but what they were before he's reminding them. And so because of this depraved state, he says we were completely deserving of God's wrath and punishment. He's stating to them what their previous spiritually dead state looked like. Verse 4. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And so Paul in this, these two verses, he's reiterating, saying, you know what? Yes, you deserved punishment, but God didn't leave you in that place. God was is so loving that he pursued you. God is so merciful. He didn't give you the punishment that you justly deserved. He's so gracious because he poured out his favor on your life and he forgave you. And he says that you didn't stay in that spiritually dead state. God brought you to life and he's reminding them of this very important aspect. He said, it is by grace you have been saved. And I want you to remember that. I want you to chew on that a bit because it's going to repeat itself quite a bit. Okay. Verse 6. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Now, when you look at this, it's talking about a, a shift that has happened. Now, first thing that happened was we were made spiritually alive. We were dead, made alive because of Christ. It was by grace that we are saved. The next thing that he says is God raised us up with Christ. It's talking about a resurrection of sorts that happened to us. And he raised us and not just that, he's talking about an ascension of sorts where he took us from the position of, of just being on earth and he puts us in the heavenly realms with Christ himself. That's what he's talking about. What actually happens during salvation is what is being explained here. He's, he's actually expanding it and he's saying this is what actually happens in the spiritual realms when you accepted Christ. And then what does it say next? He says, I raised you to the heavenly realms in order that he's explaining why he did it. If you were ever wondering, why was I saved? What is the purpose of this? Why, why am I now in the heavenly realms with Christ? It says so that you may show the incomparable riches of his grace. It's a demonstration to the world of the goodness of God. It is a demonstration to the world of the graciousness of God on our lives. And so it's not for nothing. Verse 8, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. 
it's almost like Paul has to remind these Ephesians that, hey, you did nothing to deserve. This was undeserved. It was a gift. You didn't deserve it. It was given to you. And he repeats that it was by grace that you were saved. And the important thing to remember here is that grace was the vehicle for our salvation. It was completely God's initiative. He pursued us in love. And his initiative was grace. The only initiative we had to take was accepting that. Accepting that we are sinners and accepting Jesus into our life. That was all we had to do. But everything else, everything else was done by God. And he explains something. He says, not by works. It's nothing that you or I did that made us receive the salvation. It's nothing the Ephesian believers did that made them receive the salvation. So grace was God's initiative. Love was God's motive. The only thing that we, the, the Ephesians, the Gentiles and us had to do was just accept the gift of salvation. How easy is that? He's basically laying it all down saying everything was accomplished for you in Christ. You had to do nothing. So it's important to remember this. Paul is emphasizing, he's re-emphasizing that it was you are saved by grace, not by works. So verse 10 for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. This is a passage, this, this verse is overused, it's claimed so much and it's great. But look at the context it's coming in. He's talking about how we are saved not by our works. But then he contrasts it and says, but you are God's handiwork. So you and I, just like the Ephesians, can place ourselves there knowing that we are God's handiwork. And he's telling these Ephesians, you are God's handiwork. You were created in Christ Jesus, meaning you were born again to do good works. So we are not saved by good works, but the demonstration of our salvation is by the works that we do. The evidence of our salvation is the works that we speak. The world around us sees that we know the Lord, that we're walking in, in, in his ways, that we love him because of the things we do. So it's a visible demonstration. It's a visible evidence of our salvation. And he says, which God prepared in advance for us to do. None of this was a last minute plan. This was before you and I were even thought of. Salvation was planned for us. The good works that we had to accomplish on earth was already planned out for us. So before I get into the rest of the passage, I want to just sit here for a bit. The first 10 verses. If I want to leave anything with you today, it's the first part of my title. Remember, dead on arrival. Each of us, when, before we came to Jesus, we were dead, spiritually dead. We didn't know there was a God that was out there. Maybe we knew and we were rejecting him. Maybe we had no clue. Spiritually dead, following the ways of the world, uh, doing the things that our flesh demanded. But in coming to, uh, to Christ, thanks be to God that we actually came alive. Thanks be to God that we actually came alive. And this, this, you know, being fully alive looks so different. The world talks about an abundant life where you have tons of possessions. You have no worries. You have a lot of friends. But the beautiful thing about the gospel is that this abundant life is one that is abundant with God's grace. It's abundant with his mercy. It's abundant with his love. In just this chapter, these three concepts are talked about. And this is the riches of our inheritance in Christ. This is what it means to have an abundant life. 
John 10, 10 talks about, right? The, the thief comes to steal, kill and destroy. But I have come to give you abundant life. This is what abundant life looks like. A life that is no longer spiritually dead. A life that is in tune with God. A life that is just full of joy, full of peace, full of love. The only problem is that, you know, although we are now alive, there are so many things that prevent us from being fully alive. Sometimes they even make us feel a bit dead inside. What are some of those things? The first thing is that we sometimes tend to live like our before Christ persons. We try to, you know, do what culture dictates. We don't get, we're not that spirit led. We're led by our own wants and desires. We feel this feels right in this moment. Let me do that. We don't obey God's word. Maybe we read it because, you know, it's a check, you know, thing to do on our daily uh, to-do list. But we're not avidly digesting that and living by that. Maybe we've been giving in to carnal needs. Maybe we've been ignoring the call of God's um, God on our lives to live holy lives. I don't know what it is. But today the, the call on our lives is very clear. That we are no longer dead on arrival. Now we are spiritually alive. And the way to move forward is in obedience to God. The way to move forward is to give into the Holy Spirit and be led by Him. Another reason that we don't live fully alive is because we forget that salvation is a gift from God. He keeps saying it again and again. Paul says, it is a gift. It is by grace that you were saved, not by works. So, so often we think, I need to earn back my salvation. I messed this up. I need to earn it back. No, it, you don't have to do anything. All you need to do is step forward in repentance. Repentance is all you need to do because salvation was already won for us. It was bought for us at a very high price. The blood of Jesus was what got us the salvation. You and I can do nothing to earn it, but you and I can walk with repentance. We can walk in repentance and step out again in love. We don't have to be stuck in a rut of guilt, of shame. Oh, I messed this up. Will God love me? God loves you. You stand loved before him. You stand righteous before him. And yes, we will mess this up. Yes, we will maybe take two steps back. But the beauty of this is that we can come forward and say, Lord, I'm sorry, I messed this up. I repent and move forward again. Maybe you've been feeling dead inside because of just how hard life has been. But can I remind you from this passage that you and I are seated with Christ in the heavenly realms, which means what? We are no longer purely of this earth. We occupy even the spiritual realms, which means you and I have authority. We have no clue about. But finding ourselves in fusion with Jesus, we get to see the perspective he sees. We get to see the power that he displays in our life. And no longer should the ups and downs of life actually drag us down. Instead, we should have this beautiful vantage point of saying, Lord, I know that you're doing something. I know the battle is waging and it, it's hard. I can feel some of those side effects, but I know that you are in charge. So often when life blindsides us, we just go through this slump. We're unable to navigate life's happenings. But today, because we are spiritually alive, Maybe we can start looking at things with lens that are both in the heavenlies and on earth. And we're going to see more of this in Ephesians chapter 6. So I'm not going to get into it too much. But I want to leave this with you. That you are today no longer spiritually dead. You are alive in Christ. And that you would enjoy that, that you know, fullness of life. So often we're looking around and asking God, you've promised me fullness, you've promised me abundance, but I'm still scrounging around. I, I, 
dare you to ask him for this lord fill me with peace in this situation lord let me experience your grace help me feel a tangible touch of your love and i can assure you that he will do that because in this christian journey those are the assured things our abundance comes from the from the goodness of god it comes from the fact that he's a gracious god that he's such a kind god and that he's such a loving god so i want to leave that with you that would you live not like your before christ self but that you would live like the spiritually alive version the version where the holy spirit is the leader where you are following hard after him the version where you are seated in the heavenly realms you have a vantage point that others don't have that you will live in a way remembering that salvation is a gift you cannot earn it it was a gift that as long as you walk in repentance you stand in good standing you are loved already you are saved already that you would keep walking in repentance with your father let's continue reading this chapter we're going to go on to verse 11 of Ephesians chapter 2 Jew and Gentile reconciled through Christ verse 11 therefore remember that formerly you who are gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves a circumcision which is done in the body by human hands remember that at that time you were separate from Christ excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without god in the world but now in christ jesus you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of christ so when we look at this he's paul is reminding the uh, ephesian gentiles he's saying here you you know who you were you were the uncircumcision you were labeled this by our people who were the jews who call themselves the circumcision and he's put this in brackets which is done in the body by human hands and what he's actually um trying to you know pass on as a side message is that the jews who call themselves the circumcision because the circumcision was done as a physical ritual as a ceremony they had not experienced a circumcision of their hearts their hearts had not turned in repentance to the messiah to jesus they were still trusting in what you know the mosaic law provided they were still trusting that you know these traditions like circumcision and other things were what got us through to god they didn't realize that jesus was the fulfillment of the law and so here he's he's putting it in quotes the uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision and he's reminding them of the difference that they both had and he says that you know the gentiles were separate from christ they were excluded from citizenship in israel and they were foreigners to the covenants all of this was stuff that the jews had grown up with it was ingrained in their culture they had the covenants the covenants made to abraham isaac and jacob they had a citizenship the tribes of israel had their specific spaces in the promised land remember that if you look at the the five books of the old testament the first five books all of this is explained very clearly and if you look at the abrahamic covenant there is the promise of his offspring which we will see in the new testament books which was actually talking about christ and all of this was promised to the jews but eventually because of their systematic um, apostasy because of their systematic disobedience god brings in the bigger plan where salvation comes from the jews but it is for the gentiles too and so here he's reminding them that before me before you knew me you didn't have hope you didn't have a god 
And he talks about how now in Christ Jesus, now he's bringing them to the present. This was your past, but your present is that you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. The death of Jesus brought us to where we are. It was the death of Jesus, the shedding of his blood that united Jew and Gentile. It united humanity with God. And that's what he's talking about. The blood of Jesus, the death of Jesus is what brought us close to God. Verse 14, for he himself is our peace who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. So Paul is establishing the unifying factor between Jew and Gentile. And he says the person who actually brought that about was Jesus himself. The person of Jesus brought that unity. And he says that Christ's broken, bleeding body, it didn't nullify the law. It only fulfilled it. And he was talking about how both Jews and Gentiles today, because of Jesus' broken and bleeding body on that cross, it won them salvation. It won them nearness to God. Those who were near and those who were far, who is it talking about? Those who were near were the Jews because they knew the Messiah was coming. They knew of Jesus. They had the law. They had the law and the prophets. They were near. The ones who were far with the Gentiles, they didn't know there was a living God. They were worshipping things they didn't know anything about. They didn't have the law and the commandments. And those were whom he's saying were those far away. And Christ's message, if you remember in the Gospels, he kept talking about peace. His message was one of peace because he wanted to reconcile man with God. With the fall, there was a huge distance that had come about. And it seemed impossible for man to come close to God. But Jesus, in coming down through his teaching, through his life, death, resurrection and ascension, he actually brought about reconciliation. And that is what is being spoken about here. And if you look at verse 17, it talks about how through Jesus, we have access to the Father by one spirit. We, the, the Trinitarian concept of God is mentioned so clearly over here. Going on to verse 19. Consequently, you who are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ, Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone, in him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. So he says, because of all this, because Jesus united Jew and Gentile, because Jesus brought peace between God and man, because Jesus broke down that wall of hostility, because he stood in the gap and made access possible, he says, you are no longer foreigners. He's talking to every Gentile out there and we come under that category. He's saying, you are no longer foreigners. You are no longer strangers, but... You are fellow citizens with God's people and members of his household. If you look at the word citizens, 
and household is very intimate citizens of a country have rights they have duties they have rights you and i are no longer foreigners or visitors to the land you are actually a citizen you have rights that are given to you as a citizen and says not only that you're also members of the household household talks about a family you belong to the family or an heir which means you have access which means you have so much of permission you have so many rights that are given to you as a member of the household and so our status changed here in now becoming one with christ that fusion with christ you see what it's doing is given us access we are citizens and we are also members of the household and he doesn't stop there he says you're built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with christ jesus himself as the chief cornerstone he's li- likening the jew and gentile group which is now starting to come together to form the body of christ to form the church he says you guys are being built together and he says the foundation for this church this foundation for this body of christ was actually laid by the apostles and the prophets of old but not just that the foundation stone the cornerstone is jesus himself the church was built on jesus and continues to be built on jesus verse 21 in him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the lord in him you too he's addressing every ephesian believer you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which god lives by his spirit it's very um self explanatory you don't have to actually go into it um too much to understand what he's saying he's saying together they form this beautiful building and they're being built up and then he's talking to each each believer saying each of you you are being built together and who is the one who's building it is jesus through his spirit who's building them up and bringing them together it's a dwelling in which god dwells with his spirit and as i was looking at this latter half i just realized that you know before jesus we never really found home anywhere but in jesus we've come home it's almost like you know um i don't know about you but i love coming home wherever i go in the city whatever work i do i long to get back home and sometimes when you travel out outside of you know the city you go to another place even if you stay in a nice hotel or a resort nothing like home nothing like your restroom nothing like your bedroom nothing like your sitting room and the beauty of this is in finding jesus it's like coming back home to that favorite couch by that sweet window where you actually have the comfort and the leisure that you get only at home and so often we have found ourselves far from home in not knowing jesus or maybe we know jesus but somehow we drifted but today i want to urge you that you would come back home because in jesus the hostility between god and man was done with there is no division anymore between jew and gentile and today we have peace with god that is the gift that he gives us i thank god that he removed every wall of division and he's brought me to a place of peace with him but you know so often um there are barriers that prevent us from actually feeling like we're back home barriers that keep us feeling like we're strangers and there are two main barriers that i believe we have which are from the passage if you look at it closely it talks about peace christ preached a message of peace and he said that he brought peace when he broke down the walls but so often we live peaceless lives even we who know jesus personally sometimes go into this place of lord i'm not feeling peace 
I need peace right now, but I'm not feeling it. And I believe sometimes we lose our peace with God because we have drifted away from him. God never moved. He's right where he's always been, but we have moved away. Maybe we were striving for something. Maybe we were looking in the wrong direction and we moved away. But today, I want to urge you that you can come back. He's right where he's always been. He's waiting for you. Come back to him. Come back home to him. Sometimes we feel like we don't have peace with people because it is hard work to get along with people. It is hard work to keep the peace, to make the peace. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called sons of God. If that was the case, I would be disinherited because making peace is hard. It's hard work. I can't even keep the peace within my three children. But here's the beautiful thing. We have been called to a ministry of reconciliation. We have been called to bring peace and it's not easy. But with the Holy Spirit in us, with his leading, it is possible. It may require that we step away from certain relationships. It may mean closing the door on certain exchanges. It may mean blocking someone's account. It may mean actually trying for reconciliation doesn't work out. It's all right. Moving forward with the grace that God gives you. But peacelessness is one of the primary reasons why we don't find ourselves home in Jesus. Why we don't find ourselves really belonging. The second thing that I believe is a huge reason for why we, we actually drift away from home, why we feel like foreigners is because of the prejudices. Is because of the prejudices that we carry and maybe prejudices that others carry. And I want to, I don't know who I will be speaking to when I talk about this, but every one of us, because of our upbringing, because of, you know, our geographical location, because of, you know, the kind of inputs we have had from our childhood, we have prejudices, every one of us. Every one of us. And here Paul keeps stressing on how there is no Jew or Gentile. You are all one in Christ. In another passage, he talks about there is no Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female. Christ is all. All we need to be looking at is the fact that Christ has united us. But unfortunately, because we are humans and we have our hu human ideas and our traditions, we have brought things in which have caused division rather than unity. I was talking about fusion right at the beginning. And I was just watching this BBC um, documentary on, on what fusion energy looks like today in the 21st century. And they were explaining about how fission and fusion are so different. They both produce energy, but how fusion is better. Now, what is fission? Fission is in our regular nuclear reactors. We have a big molecule, an atom, which is bombarded and it brings about smaller atoms, which are then used to generate heat, right? So fission is basically the splitting of molecules by bombarding it with another molecule. But you look at fusion, fusion is actually the putting together of two lighter particles, making it into one big, heavier atom. Now, the interesting thing about this is fission happens easily. The breaking up of one molecule into two is actually an easier process. Fusion is hard. It's being done, but it's very hard to maintain. And I was thinking about it, even in our church, any church, the global body of Christ, it's so easy to cause division. You just bombard it with a couple of prejudicial thoughts. You put in a couple of political views. You, you create a system where, you know, human traditions, you know, hold sway and you cause division. It's harder for fusion to happen. It's harder for bringing people together. But this is what Christ died for. He died 
so that the dividing wall of hostility be broken. He died to bring peace between God and man. But so often, our prejudices actually undo that hard-won unity. We actually unravel that because of our views. And I know for a fact that in every church, there are different things that cause that. Maybe you are someone who believes strongly in the caste system. Maybe you're someone who says, I classify people according to their socioeconomic group. If a person looks a certain way or behaves a certain way, speaks English in a certain way, has a certain education, I will speak to them. Can I tell you today that that is not the gospel? The gospel that Jesus preached, the gospel that Jesus lived, the gospel that founded the early church, that is not something that includes all of this. This was purely man-made. And it denounces the unity that Jesus died for. Paul repeatedly, he goes on in every episode you will see, he will talk about how we strive for unity. So I want to ask you, I'm going to break that down a little bit more. Are you someone who systemically practices discrimination, maybe based on gender, maybe based on skin color, maybe based on caste or creed? Maybe you... Avoid people who don't agree with your political views within the body of Christ. Maybe you look at family background. Well, they don't have a put together family. I'm going to stay clear of them. Maybe you look at someone and say, well, their intelligence is not up to, you know, at par with me. I'll avoid them. All of these things are detrimental to unity in the body of Christ. And today, the call for each of us is that we would remember the blood of Jesus got us unity. It was a high price. Why would you and I cheapen that by bringing our prejudices in? The body of Christ is made up of Jew and Gentile. It's made up of people of different, different calibers, abilities, skills, backgrounds. And it's such a beautiful tapestry of different colors, different strengths. And it's going to be beautiful when, when we enter glory, when we stand with the witnesses from around the globe. It's going to be the most beautiful sight. And I hope that we don't miss out on that because of our prejudices, because of our ideas of how church should look, who should be in there, who should be serving. Maybe we stop with that and we come back to the author and finish of our faith, Jesus himself, who got us unity in the body of Christ, who requires that we be peacemakers. And so today, if you say, well, I'm not going to admit it to you, but I do discriminate. I do look at people for certain things. I do talk to those in the church that I really relate to and I pretend I can't see the other people. Can I ask today that we pause right now and we take a minute to come before our God, the one in whom all of us are made, in his image. We are made in his image, every one of us. He's not a respecter of man. He doesn't look at me and say, I like you better because of such and such. He looks at us the same. Can we come before him and say, Lord, I'm sorry. I'm sorry because I have these deep prejudices which are actually dark and they're not in line with your will for your church, for your people and for me. Can we just say a quick word of repentance right now? Father, we just come before you as the body of Christ, repenting for every notion and idea which sets itself up against you, Father, against the knowledge of God. We repent of it. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will transform us by the renewing of our mind that you will set us free from every harmful deception, everything that has been ingrained in us from a long time back and set us free. We pray that, Lord, we'll be those who no longer harbor 
peacelessness or prejudice but lord we will walk with love and with grace and with mercy help us holy spirit in jesus name i pray amen amen even as we cl- close this sermon i just want to leave these two things with you when i started i talked about the definition of fusion and how fusion is a merging of dif- diverse distinct or separate elements into a unified whole and i want to leave one thing with you today today when you are fused with jesus i believe that he wants to first of all make you a unified whole remember we talked about how we are spirit soul and body that we're not simple organisms we're extremely complex and i believe he wants to make us a unif- unified whole where spirit soul and body are whole and so he's going to heal parts of you he's going to touch parts of you he's going to reveal parts of you that are not yet fused with him that are not yet transformed by him and he's going to do it in his time it probably is going to take a lifetime we're not ever going to be there it's going to be an ongoing process but when you are fused with jesus when you are with jesus made alive with christ seated with christ risen with christ he wants to make you a unified whole and the second thing is he wants to make the body of christ a unified whole which means that you actually look to others with the grace that god showed you you look to others and show them the mercy that has been shown you that you look at others with the love of jesus not with scales of prejudice or discrimination because remember that through the church the the glory of god is going to be displayed to the whole world and we're going to be looking at that in ephesians chapter 3 but for now i want you to remember that when you are fused with jesus he wants to make you as an individual a unified whole and he wants to make the body of christ a unified whole so let's assist god with that let's not let's not say you know what lord you've done it but i'll do my own thing i want to be in line with you i want to see myself become a wholesome person i want to see the body of christ um move forward as a unified whole even as i close can i just encourage you that you would come back home if you felt you've drifted away god's right where he is he wants you to come back home if you feel that i'm still parts of me are still spiritually dead i'm going to pray that god resurrects those parts because when you came to jesus whenever that was it could have been yesterday it could have been 10 years back it could have been 30 years back he made you spiritually alive he brought you back to life and i want to pray over you that that abundance that he promises will be evident in your life can i pray for you father in heaven we just thank and praise you for what you are doing in our lives we thank you that you raised us from death to life we thank you that lord in you an abundant life is promised we thank you and praise you for the fact that lord in jesus you brought us home to you thank you that you've adopted us into your family thank you that we are citizens of heaven today and lord even as we get through every single day of this week and the coming weeks of oh father i pray that you will give us an abundance of your peace an abundance of your joy an abundance of your love i pray that lord we will not operate from a place of having nothing but lord by being close to you father god we pray that we will imbibe all of you and give more of you to others help us oh father within the body of christ to operate as a unified whole help us to love each other help us to go the extra mile help us to turn the other cheek Father I pray for each one of us as individuals where there is a brokenness in inside us maybe it's not in our body maybe it's in our mind maybe it's in our spirit Father I pray today there will be a restoration there will be healing so that we are restored and built up to form a beautiful temple for you Holy Spirit 
We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Have an amazing week. God bless you. Thanks for listening to this message. We hope you were blessed. To hear more messages like this, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. If you like what you are hearing, consider rating us, subscribing and even sharing it with friends. That would really help us. For more content from We Are Zion and to connect with us, go to wearezion.in. Remember, whoever finds Jesus finds life.